Isaiah chapter 65. For those of you who are new to the church or new to the Christian faith or maybe new to celebrating Christmas in the correct way, there's a whole lot to the Christmas season. There's a whole lot to what we call Advent. The word Advent simply means coming. And as Christians, it is not just that we celebrate that Jesus came the first time, which of course he did. We all know that. We also celebrate that he's coming again. He's coming again. So Advent is sort of a, a place in between where we look at the first coming and also anticipate the next coming, the second coming of Christ. That's why many of the scriptures that we read during the Christmas season are actually scriptures of the next coming, scriptures of the second coming, and that's where we're going to be this morning. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. Isaiah, the prophet, is bringing a message to people who have definitely been uh, knocked over in life, and they need a word of hope. Uh, Maybe you've been there. It's a teenage girl whose grandmother was going to spend the night in the hospital, and so mom thought it would be a good idea if the girl would go and clean up some things at grandma's house. And so while grandma was at the hospital, the teenage girl went to the house to do some vacuuming, and the one thing that mom said was, make sure you clean out Chippy's cage. Chippy was grandma's parakeet that nearly everybody in the family hated, but grandma loved this bird, and so the girl's job was to vacuum the floor and clean out Chippy's cage. Well, the teenage girl, y'all know about teenage girls, teenage girl was vacuuming the floor, and then she realized, you know, Chippy's cage, that is a really nasty job. Maybe, maybe the vacuum cleaner could work for that too. So she opened the bird's cage with the vacuum cleaner, and she took the end off the vacuum cleaner, just had the, you know, the open pipe, and uh, she was just about to reach in and, uh, and vacuum up the droppings on the bottom of the cage when suddenly her cell phone kind of buzzed, and, and she got a text And so with the vacuum cleaner in this hand, she reached and she got her cell phone. And just about the time she was going to LOL, you know, she was going to LOL, she had the vacuum cleaner in the cage and she heard this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She sucked the bird up in the vacuum cleaner, the the, the parakeet. (laughs) That was the bird. So she put the phone down and she, she opened up the vacuum cleaner and she looked in into the dust bag. You ever looked in one of those things? And there in the dust bag, she could kind of see the bird, kind of see the bird. So she reached in there and pulled the bird out, but it was just covered in funk, just covered in dust and hair and, and grossness. You know what's in one of those vacuum bags? So she tried to figure out what to do now. The bird was actually still alive. So she took it to the bathroom, turned on the faucet, and just held it under the running water for the longest time till the bird looked like it was supposed to look and getting all the dust and everything off of it. But then she had this very wet, very, very stunned, very cold bird just shivering. So what do you do now? So she did what any teenage girl would do. She put the bird on the bathroom counter and got out the hair dryer. So here's the bird moonwalking, trying to stand up on top of the bathroom cabinet with the hairdryer blowing it. So she dried the bird, put it back in the cage, fastened up the cage, left. A couple of days later, grandma's back at home, and the girl goes over to visit grandma. You know, there's only one thing she's thinking, is this bird still alive? But she said, Grandma, how are you? How was the hospital? Grandma, we're so glad you're home. By the way, Grandma, how is Chippy? How's Chippy? Grandma said, Chippy has not been the same since I went to the hospital. (laughs) Chippy no longer sings. Chippy just sits in the cage and stares. Yeah. Well, of course. 
That bird's been sucked in, washed up, blown over. Do you understand? There's nothing to do. That would steal the song out of the stoutest heart. And honestly, life does that to us. Some of you in this house this morning feel like you've been sucked in, washed up, and blown over by life. And honestly, other people maybe feel like they can sing, and they can smile, and they can talk about God, and they can believe, but you're finding it difficult because life has made it difficult for you. There is a word of God for you today. For all of you who've lost hope, there's a word of hope in Isaiah chapter 65, and this is an amazing hope. Listen to what the word of God says. Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad. Rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people, and the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they've lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed would die that young. (laughs) In those days, people will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards, for my people will live as long as the trees, and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune, for they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children too will be blessed. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow, but the snakes will eat dust. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. About 13 years ago, a young couple got married. She got pregnant. They had twins. (laughs) They had twins, twin boys. The the good news turned to bad news real quickly, though. One of the boys was perfectly healthy, but, but, but one of the boys was not. And immediately he was taken to the neonatal intensive care unit at Vanderbilt. It's a hard place to be. Have you been there? It's, it's a hard place to be. And especially for a mom or a dad who has to sit by that, that incubator there and, and, and look at that itty-bitty baby struggling to breathe. That's a hard place to be. The nurses are wonderful there, I can say that. Uh, one particular nurse would come in, and she would change an itty-bitty diaper, and she would sing songs. This baby in a nest, a web of needles and tubes, uh, she would sing songs and change that little diaper, and she would sing and hum as she would hold that itty-bitty arm and, uh, and check its pulse. Four weeks. Four weeks. And then the doctor came in and sat the parents down and told them the devastating news, this baby's not going to make it. So the doctor himself unplugged the machine and disconnected all of those tubes and all of those needles and put the baby in his daddy's arms. And so the daddy sat there and held his baby. 
After a while, the dad looked up at me and said, what do I do now? What do I do now? What do you do when your hope seems to die in your arms? What do you do when life turns out like that? Because if you haven't caught on yet, sometimes life turns out like that. And it is devastating and very, very difficult when you have to recognize that this is how the world is, that that things like that happen, and things like that can happen to people like you. It, it, It happens. But honestly, it's devastating for people when it happens to, to, to feel like you've lost hope, to, to feel like you, you, you can't trust doctors or to feel like you can't trust God. That's always the most devastating thing to lose, that feeling that you can trust God. That feeling that somehow the world is full of blessing and that the world is predictable. You, you lose that. And when you lose that, it's a very difficult thing to recover And of course, we always sort of turn the questions around to to God. We we look at the world and we see how the world is and how random and how heartbreaking it is just to live sometimes. And we immediately begin to ask, is this really how it is? Is is this really the world that God made? And, And honestly, the big question, if this is the world that God made, then what kind of God is this? Who is he? What kind of God makes a world like this? Now, that's the question, and that's a hard question. But you need to understand something. Look at what the Scripture says. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. Look what he says. Look, I am creating. Of course, the very first thing we see God doing in all of Scripture is creating. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the very first verse in all of Scripture. It's the fundamental principle that we know about God. He's a creator. God is the God who can make something out of nothing, that kind of power, creating everything that is with simply his word. God is a creator. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, he says something amazing. He says, look, I'm creating. I am creating new heavens and a new earth. Now, that's interesting. New heavens, new earth. Honestly, when we struggle, when we ask, is this the world that God created? Well, it's a pretty complicated question, to be honest, because on the one hand, yes, this is the world that God made. God is the only one who could have made it, and he made it. But on the other hand, no, this isn't exactly the world that God made, because Scripture makes it plain. The world that God made, he made good. God made a good creation, a good earth, and everything that he made was good. And honestly, so much of it still is. I love the earth. I love life. I love everything about it. I love my everyday life with my wife and son. There's nothing special about us, but we are special to one another. I I love the feeling when my wife kisses me on the back of my neck. I I love that. I love to be at a cross-country meet and see my son look for me across the path. I I love that. I love cheese tater tots that Sonic and Cherry Limeade, and I love hot chocolate. I love to go to Lowe's. I love the silence when the snow falls, and I love the smell of tobacco hanging in a barn on a rainy day. I love square bales. I love paintings by Vincent van Gogh. 
I love laughing till I cry. I just love it all, don't you? I I love it. The world is so amazing and life is so beautiful, it'll break your heart. (laughs) Do you understand? It's so beautiful, it'll break your heart because it's also been ruined. Everything that God made, it's been ruined. So yes, this is the world that God made, but no, it's not the way he made it. God made it good, but sin has ruined it. This is the message of the gospel. Sin has ruined the creation that God made. So no, we do not live the lives he created us to live anymore. We can't because of sin. No, the world does not operate anymore as God created it to operate. It's been ruined. It's been corrupted by sin. No, your life, your spiritual life, your relationship with God, it's all broken. It's all been ruined by sin. It's ruined, ruined. And we experience that ruin in our lives. Whenever we encounter cancer or or crime, whenever we have that sense, that strong sense of this can't be how it was meant to be. When you hear that voice in your own heart, you're speaking the truth. This can't be how it was intended to be. It's not. This world does not reflect God's perfect and God's ultimate will. It does not. Sin has ruined it. But it's still God's. Do you understand? And maybe that's why there's nothing for us to do but turn it all back to him. It's still his. He's still got the whole world in his hands. It's still his world. It's still his creation. He made it and it's ruined. That's why there's just almost nothing else to do. We would like not to do it, but we can't help it. Sometimes we just say, God, why? Why? you do something? Why can't you fix this? Why don't you fix this? God, why? Why is it like this? Why would parents ever have to bury a child? Why would anybody ever die young? Why, God? Why don't you fix this place? Interesting promise tucked in these verses here. Look with me. Verse 24. I will answer them before they even call to me. I will answer them before they even call to me. Because I ask those questions of God. I do. I call on him. And sometimes I say, God, why? Why does it have to be this way? And why don't you do something? I know that bad things happen. I know that the world is ruined. But God, I also know that you're a God of miracles. Why don't you do something? Why don't you fix this mess? But but let me just ask you, if you've ever, like me, asked those questions, if you've ever tried to call God in on the carpet like that, like I do, God forgive me. If you've ever done that, then I want you to come back to something. I just want you to imagine for a moment that God just showed up. In one of those moments when you're saying, God, do something, what if God just showed up and said, I'm here what would you like me to do? What do you want me to do? What if God asked you that question? Okay, okay, I'm here. What do you want me to do? What would you say? What would you even begin to ask for? What do you begin to hope for in that moment? What, what would you say? We'd probably all work through sort of the same process. My first instinct would be to start asking for things that benefit me and my family, me and mine, the people I love, the suffering that I have felt in my own heart. That would probably be where I I would begin to start. 
I would start thinking about the suffering that's close to home, my life, my body, my family, my parents, my wife, my son, my world. I would start there, but but I don't know if I'd stop there. And I don't know if you would either if God were really saying, what do you want me to do? I think eventually I would just say, I want you to fix the whole thing. Why don't you certainly take care of me and my family? But beyond that, God, why don't you just fix it all, repair it all? Everything broken in this world, God, why don't you just fix it now, fix it all, fix it for good? (laughs) One of the best mornings, honestly, of my whole life was years ago. And some of you have heard me talk about this this morning. Uh, I had breakfast at Orbra Kerpesky's house. Orbra's gone to be with the Lord now, but it was wonderful. Orbra lived in, in an old farmhouse with one of those old kitchens. She invited me and Casey over for breakfast one morning. Uh, it was good. Honestly, I'm not a really big breakfast eater, but if you're fixing it, I'll eat it. And Orbra invited us for breakfast. We came in, it was a cold winter day, just cold, 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 ice and snow outside. But we stepped in that house, and it was the warmest house you'll ever step in. And that kitchen was especially warm. We walked in the kitchen, sat around the table, and just started talking to Orbra. What a wonderful lady. As we were sitting there, Orbra came and sat in front of me. The biggest bowl of oatmeal I've ever seen in my whole life. Now, I mean big bowl. If I eat oatmeal, and I, I do sometimes, I eat, you know, in a little bowl. One of those little dry packets, you know, add four squirts of hot water. You know, that's oatmeal for me. Orbra brought a bowl like you'd serve your whole family beans out of and, and set one in front of every one of us, a gigantic bowl of, of homemade oatmeal. I don't think she knows it comes in paper packets. Gigantic bowl hot. And it was just covered, covered with big old wedges of butter melting in the steam of that oatmeal and crumbled brown sugar. I, I mean, a, a, a pound of crumbled brown sugar. This was amazing. And she gave me a spoon as big as the bowl. It was so good. It was so good. I, you know, the first 10 minutes, I was just eating butter and brown sugar off the top, man. It was so good. Oh, it was good. And it was warm, and it filled me up. My mama used to say, oatmeal will stick to your ribs, and it did, man. I was so full. That was so good. And we ate slow, and we talked, and we laughed, and we enjoyed it. And it was over. I said, Orber, thank you so much. This has been the best breakfast ever. I really appreciate this. And Orber said, what are you talking about? That wasn't breakfast. That was just oatmeal. My belly was so full. But Orbra turned around and started bringing out the food. She brought out the biggest platter of sausage and bacon and ham, three meats. Sausage and bacon and ham. And she turned around and she brought out a whole big bowl of eggs, bigger than the oatmeal, this gigantic bowl of eggs. And then biscuits, biscuits hot out of that oven, biscuits and gravy. And on and on she kept bringing out all of this food, potatoes. I'm, I'm telling you, the oatmeal was satisfying to me. I was good. I was full. I thought I was going to throw up then. But that wasn't even breakfast. You understand? It was just the oatmeal. And this is what God is like. This is what you've got to understand. This is what God is like. This life, this world, it's just the oatmeal. Do you understand this? It's just the oatmeal. You have not yet seen what God is going to do. 
And sometimes in this life, sometimes we look at what God has given us and we think this can't be it. We look at this and we say, God, do something. God, you've got to fix this place. God, you've got to fix everything, mend everything that's broken. God, why don't you do something? But notice what the scripture says. I will answer them before they even call to me. Before you even think to pray, God is already answering. So here's the wondrous promise of the scripture. Even before you thought to say, God, fix this place, he already is. Even before you experienced the first broken heart, I'm telling you, God was already mending your heart. God moves before you even think to pray. And even before you and I ever thought to ask God to remake this world, he's already doing it. That's the promise. He's already doing it. Just like Orbert Kropesky in the kitchen. I imagined that what I had seen was all that there was going to be to see. And you're thinking that this life, the heartbreak of it, the tears of it, the weeping of it, the sickness, the suffering, you're thinking that that's all there is, that somehow that's all God's got for you. But I'm telling you, you haven't seen what God has for you yet. You haven't seen what he's going to do next. And what he's going to do next is glorious. It's glorious. So what do you do? What do you do when it seems like all of your hopes have just died in your arms? What do you do? When your marriage just fails or, or, or your children go the wrong direction, your job falls apart, what do you do when all the wheels just come off of life and, and there you are with, with hopes just dead in your arms? What do you do then? What do you do? Well, you, you learn to hope again. You learn to hope again. You don't put your hope in anything that you see. You don't put your hope in anything about this world because it's all passing away and good enough for it. Let, let it just all be gone. Because God is making a new world, a, a new heaven and a new earth. You've seen this earth. If you live long enough, this earth will break your heart. But don't ever give up hope. You keep hoping. You put your hope in God. And you put your hope in what God's going to do next. Because what he's going to do next is everything that your heart cries out for, even before you thought to ask for it, even before you thought about hoping for it, already God has begun to move. Behold, he says, I am making new heavens, a new earth, and everything about this earth won't even be remembered anymore. No longer will there be the, the sound of weeping and crying. No longer will there be anything to hurt or to harm. I'm going to make everything new. My friend, learn to hope again. Learn to hope in the promise of God who says, 
even before you call out to him, he's going to answer you. Learn to hope again in God and what he's about to do for you and for the whole world. Learn to hope. Pray with me. God, some of us have cried the tears until we are all cried out. God, we can't imagine a day when we won't remember the pain of this life anymore because the pain of this life is, is, is sort of all we know. But God, we long for the day when we can forget it. We long for the day when we will put it away for good. We long for the day, Lord, when you wipe away the tears from our eyes. Lord, for now, there are tears, though. And for now, some of us still, Lord, continue to nurse broken dreams in, in our very hands. And Lord, we don't always know what to do and we feel so lost and bewildered in life. But God, I pray that today, every person in this room who struggles to hope again, who wonders, Lord, if there's a future for them, Lord, who wonders if you even answer when they call, Lord, I pray that today, in this moment, they'll learn to hope in you again. Oh, God, open their eyes, open their hearts, Open their hands to receive new things from you, the new things that you're making. And God, I pray that each and every one of us will keep faith and will keep hope and will keep love alive until the day comes when we see you face to face and you repair everything broken. Lord, for now, as you are repairing broken things, we humbly ask, that you would look inside some of our bodies, fix our broken hearts. If you're looking for a place to begin, Lord, in fixing broken things, Lord, begin with our hearts. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus and in all of the hope that that name gives us. Amen.